Hi everyone, Ellie here. I just wanted to take a minute before we start this episode so that I can share that over the last couple of months I've been trying to focus on information about how you, having lost your job or, or how to get through COVID uh, as a professional human uh, and what that experience has been like. But a few weeks ago, you may know that a man named George Floyd was murdered by the police in Minneapolis. And everything has been inside out and upside down in our city since then. And to be honest, um, taking care of our community and, and focusing on the change and the healing that needs to happen has become a top priority for me. So I've, I've tried to shift the focus of the, the content that we're making, the conversations that we're having away from COVID and into the concept of being a white ally uh, for our black professional community, what that really means and, and how to really do that. And it felt like the best way to do that was to start having conversations with my black colleagues and the people in my network, learn from them about what their experience uh, has been so that I can understand um, what I can do differently in, in how I act at work and, and to share some of that with all of you. I've had many, many conversations. Many of them I have not recorded, um, but I'm, I'm looking to record more of them so that I can share them out with you. And uh, this is the first of those. So I'm, I'm very grateful to the people who have been very generous, generous with their time. And the first of those uh, recordings is with uh, my friend, Ari Odaya. She's a remarkable woman. And I hope you learn from this episode and have things that you could take away. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Ellie Rader with another episode of Professional Humans. I'm here today uh, with my friend, Ari Odaya. She's the founder and owner of a marketing company here called Collectively Digital. Hi, Ari. Hi. Ellie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me. Um, so today our goal is to dig into um, the concept of, of being a white ally. And I know you're prepared to share some of your experiences as a black professional, um, both as a business owner and as somebody who has been in, you know, different professional settings. Mm -hmm. But before we dig into that, the heavy stuff, um, can you just take a minute and uh, help our guests learn about your business and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, I am the founder of a uh, small um, digital marketing agency. We specialize in creative strategy, um, content marketing, um, as well as um, web development. So uh, our um, technology solutions. Um, Great. Yeah. Cool. And you're based in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, yes. Excellent. Has this? Has, so we're three weeks out from the murder of George Floyd. Um, Obviously, we're we're in kind of the epicenter of what's happening in our country right now, being in Minneapolis. Right. Has this affected your business at all over the last few weeks? Um, it has in in the sense that, you know, I've had a lot of inquiries around 
um, around support, I guess, responding to uh, what's happening. So mm -hmm. in terms of business, um, it hasn't affected my business and business hasn't changed. Um, my business has actually increased since the COVID because now everyone needs an online presence. Everyone is trying to reestablish a fresh, a fresh face online and, and um, kind of stand out in the chatter. I mean, we had to stand out before, but now even more so because there's no, um, the in-person interaction is limited. Right, so, yeah. right. Interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm interested in this idea of, of being a, a white ally and what it means to be a good one. And um, I want to make sure that I'm carrying the burden of, of learning about that and not um, putting it on people like you who are really generous with your time for me in sharing your experiences. So I'm trying to hear the experiences that you have so that I can put it together into a, um, what to do about it and how I should act differently. But it, it occurs to me that you can't, you can't declare yourself an ally. You, you have to do the work of um, learning what it means and behaving differently. And it isn't until somebody considers you an ally that you become one. Do you, do, do you agree with that premise? Does that resonate? Um, I think so. I mean, I guess, first of all, you have to ask yourself, why do, is there a need for an allyship, right? Right. Understand that first, you know, why the need for allyship even exists and what role you play in perpetuating the need for an allyship, right? Yeah. And then, and then and then determining how you can change your internal mindset, recognize what you are doing, how you can change first. And then in changing yourself first in your personal life um, and in your business life, that will begin the change that is needed. If everyone, if every Caucasian or every white Minnesotan would do that, and did that only, we would actually see change. Right, we would be in a much different place. We, were, we would be in a much different place. It's, it's a change of mindset that's really needs to happen. And, you know, allyship goes beyond a referral or, you know, um, acknowledging someone in public or something. Um, right. It actually, it actually, you just have to change, really think about your own personal life. What are you doing in your life? How, yeah. like, are there people of color in your life? Or, you know, and how are they in your life? What do you know about them? What relationship do you, <laughs> do you have with them? You know what I mean? And what yeah. relationship do they have with you? You know, if we don't know each other, how can we, how can we change, you know, systematic racism? Um, I saw, I saw this video on Instagram and it was an interview. Um, and some people may think it's just divisive, um, but 
it, it, it went to a college campus or um, an area that seems to be populated with predominantly Caucasian students. Mm -hmm. um, and they interviewed Caucasian students and asked them what they thought about re uh, the requirements for ID um, in order to vote. And their opinion of it was it was unfair and it was voter suppression because black people generally don't carry ID because they don't they don't have you know the DMV is too far from where they live and they don't have transportation and um, even if it was online most black people don't have the internet and um, and that. Uh, they don't have phones because they need to make money to pay their bills and they don't really have jobs. <laughs> so it goes on and on about how these students, Caucasian students, view, you know, the black community in general. And then, and then the interviewer went to an urban inner city area and asked, you know, the black people walking down the street, if they had phones, they were like, yeah. <laughs> do, you yeah. Have, do you have internet at home? They're like, yeah. <laughs> do you know where the DMV is? Or like, yeah, on the street. Have you ever been there? Yeah. <laughs> do you have an ID? <laughs> you know, do you have an ID? They're like, yeah, I never leave the house without it. So wow. think about it. It's even when those students think that that ID, I mean, they consider themselves allies, right? right. But, <laughs> you know, they're good intending but even their views are racist. Right, yeah. I think there's so well, many people like that where they have good intentions and they don't, um, they may be the most dangerous people of all. I think it was Mal Malcolm X that, that thought that, right? That the, yeah. the white people who had the best intentions were doing the worst job. And I think they have the best intentions. They're, they're, they're doing, um, I don't know if they're doing the worst job, but they're not necessarily helping. They're perpetuating. Right. So in your in your work, whether it's in the business that you own or in other places where you've been in a professional setting, can you share any experiences that you have had where you either look back on it or at the time thought, man, I could have really used an ally in that moment and and I could have used somebody helping me to get through this differently? Oh, wow. <laughs> Even like job interviews or? Yeah. Um, I remember in my early 20s, I worked for an insurance firm and um, the experience changed me in, in a lot of ways. Um, this is when I was in, in LA actually. And, and it was an insurance firm that I worked at. And I was the, at the time for, for almost a year and a half, I was the only um, like person of color, like only black person on the okay. team. And I was also one of the youngest people there. <laughs> um, it was, it was, I would call it corporate bullying at its best. And um, I mean, I went into that role into into that professional workforce very confident in myself, and left <laughs> with anxiety 
um, because there wasn't an email that I could send that didn't, I didn't receive like a note back from the VP of operation redlining <laughs> the whole thing. There were, I had a, she had a, um, a Nordstrom, uh, uh, we had a lunch and learn where she had a Nordstrom rep come in to do a consultation, how to dress professionally. And <laughs> at for that, everybody, um, yeah, everyone, but it was, she and I had this conversation cause she had pulled me into her office and had a conversation about dress code. Um, and, and mind you, I was wearing exactly the same thing as everyone else, but no shirt flags, but I was also 20, 23 years old. Um, the only person of color, the youngest person, um, you know, it was, it was humiliating mm -hmm. and embarrassing because our entire team knew why we were having the lunch and learn. Oh man. Um, I was sat up front and center. Um, I mean, there were all kind of little things from the emails to, um, to dress codes to uh, being passed up for a promotion. Um, and at that time, yeah, I wish I would have had an ally that would have been like, okay, this is enough. Yeah. <laughs> the, I don't understand the, the dress code. And there's, I know there's so much more, but what did they think you needed to do differently if you were wearing the well, same kinds of clothes? Well, apparently the VP of operations felt that I was a distraction to the consultant ah. there. Oh my God. That I needed to walk in there with a blazer every day, although, you know, <laughs> I have very broad shoulders and I, you know, heavy on top. Having a blazer and, and shopping at uh, Forever 21 <laughs> at the time when I right. was three, I couldn't afford, you know, the right tailored blazer. I can't, right. you know, a 23 year old at that time, yeah, I was on my own <laughs> in a city all by myself. Spending $350 on a soup set was not a priority. That's out I, of the question. Yeah. <laughs> I went to I one for $40 at <laughs> Forever 21, you know, so it was, it was, um, it was very humiliating. It was really humiliating um, to know that I'm being judged by, you know, what I looked like. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that your performance standards had to be different from your colleagues? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There wasn't, I mean, I felt like my colleagues could make mistakes and it was all right. You know, okay. so executive assistant to the VP. Okay. So it wasn't necessary. That was my boss was my, and my boss was happy with my work. And that mm -hmm. was like the crazy thing about it, but he allowed it. Um, it, it this goes deeper. It's that experience. I wish I had an ally. I wish I had support because now in my, in my, in my, it, now I know that that is corporate bullying, that I was being harassed. Mm -hmm. You know, now I know, 
what actions that I, I could have taken at that time. But, you know, you don't know what you don't know when you're young, you're fairly ignorant, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that I'm not really sure why the operations um, VP had such an issue with me. Um, but she did and she made my life a living hell. And um, <laughs> my boss was supporting me for two years and then all of a sudden he wasn't. So I was left to look for another job and push out and it wasn't a fair. Is that why you left? Because of the, the way they were treating you? That company, yeah, when I was 23. Okay. Yeah. What happened next? Did you, how did you, you know, you, you said that your confidence had been depleted. Well, how did I mean, you over the years of the harassment, like it got to a point where <laughs> I, I literally would wake up like with dread and, and, and anxiety trying to find something to wear that I wouldn't be pulled or, t you know, someone wouldn't like have an issue <laughs> with what I have on. Yeah. You know? And so it would always be like a, a, like, I mean, I developed anxiety. I never had anxiety growing up. Like I didn't have anxiety. I didn't even know what anxiety was. <laughs> and, yeah. and after working there, like I couldn't get dressed. It would take me hours to get dressed in the morning. I would have anxiety over walking into the office, walking past anyone's office writing an email, um, speaking at a meeting, asking questions. So it's uh, just every minute of your day. Every minute of my day. I, because there was always something. There was always something. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare, you know. But the thing was that I worked in other offices and, um, and, and I noticed, yes, that I did have to work harder than my counterparts. I noticed that, you know, um, you know, I can leave, just leave at five o'clock like everyone else, right. you know, I had to put in at least another two hours, two hours every yeah. day. Yes. Because if I would, I was, okay. Corporate America already has that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you already have that. And then to be black and just take off with everyone else, you're already being judged, criticized in every, like for me, my experience, criticized in every way. So I usually stayed, like I usually would come in early, leave later than everyone else. Mm -hmm. You know, early, out late, you know, working hard. And, and I would watch like, um, I would watch interns. I'd watch interns get <laughs> come through and be hired and promoted past me. Jeez. Interns. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> when I met you, what is it? A year? It must have been a year ago now. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you so much because mm -hmm. you were confident and outspoken and because that job was super fun. I had, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, I, it was I, I heard but about I, thinking for a while, but I hadn't, you know, engaged in a workshop before and yeah. I had so much fun. It was so much fun. I had so much fun, but I, but I remember, and I, you know, when I get that feeling about somebody, I usually reach <laughs> out and 
try to become friends with them because yeah. So what changed? How did you get your confidence back? How did you reclaim? <laughs> um, it's probably a long story, but yeah, I, I'm like I feel like I'm still working on that. Okay. You know, I'm very much still it's a work in progress for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have like issues with public speaking just from that experience and you yeah. know um so it's it's you know it's it's a work in progress so I'm always shocked when people are like oh you're so confident I'm like really <laughs> I could relate to that yep <laughs> so I I don't see myself that way you know so um yeah it's in there yeah I've seen it <laughs> Well, okay, so thank you. Uh, we should probably wrap up, but thank you so much for for talking to me today. I know um, you know these things are hard to talk about, and they bring up you know a lot of feelings from the past that you might want to leave there. But it's really helpful to understand what your experience is. I wonder if you have just a couple of or just uh, you know something advice about something I could go do today to make a difference. Um, I mean, if you are, what can you do today? I suppose today you can donate um, Mm -hmm. to these organizations. You can volunteer um, to clean up some of those areas that are impacted. Um, You can um, attend, um, you know, the participate and engage in some of what's going on in the community as far as like the school boards, uh, as far as like community organizations that are supporting people in the neighborhoods, how can you support those organizations? How can you give back? And then look inside yourself and how, um, how you feel about, you know, diversity, inclusion, and what, what stereotypes or what, you know, what unconscious, well, I guess it's unconscious, you can't know, but have conversations with, um, Maybe have conversations, try to have more conversations with people of color specifically and get to know them and get to understand what their life is like and actually get to know them, you know, Um, and try not to make assumptions, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the only way we can, we can drive change is by having these conversations. Um, If we don't talk to each other, we don't. I mean, if we don't know each other, then we're going to continue this cycle, right? And if yeah. we don't acknowledge that there's a problem, then the problem doesn't get fixed. <laughs> um, so we need to have a dialogue, get to know each other, and and have a real conversation, you know, because I, I, I think, you know, Caucasian people, white people in the space are afraid to, of being labeled, right? Being labeled a racist. And, you know, black people and people of color black brown and indigenous people in this area are afraid of speaking out and even standing up for themselves because they're afraid of retaliation Mm -hmm. you know and and that's a very real fear because that's usually what happens when you know we do speak out when we do speak up the retaliation you get pushed out of a company lose your job you lose your home you lose (laughs) something goes (laughs) something you know, so, um, yeah, I think that we just have to have more um, real 
um, dialogue. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, thank you for talking to me today. This was really, really helpful. Thank you for having me. Yeah.